0: What is going on, gang? This is Liam from The Social Gathering. I'm joined by Zach. Yo, yo. And Rise. How are you guys doing today?
1: Excellent. Hey, good.
0: Awesome. So, Rise, tell us a little bit about yourself.
2: Uh, my name's Reese. <laughs> <laughs> Shoot, <laughs> Frick! I get it all the time. It's, don't worry. Actually,
1: you know what? It's funny because we talked about your name before, and you we were like, "It's it's Rhys, right?" It's definitely Rhys, yeah.
2: <laughs> now is is Reese like the pieces spelled dispel R H Y S, which is is the Welsh way, which is like probably the original way, and then it's obviously changed like names do. But yeah, it's fine. I get it all the time. Especially since I moved to, to to Canada,
1: have you met any other races? in Canada? Oh, just in Canada.
2: Uh, oh, there's loads in Wales. You get it's quite oh, a common. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> I haven't in person. I've, I've I've seen some people online with the same name, and they they're either from Wales or they have like their grandparents were, or their parents were from Wales. So it does spelt that way. Does seem to be like an indication of yeah, they got a Welsh connection. My uh, my grade twelve. English teacher's name
1: was Reese. And oh, when really? I saw your name, I was like, uh is this my English teacher? <laughs> Cause I because I had never met anyone else with that name either. Yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> I'm I've never been an English teacher. Just um just to confirm. <laughs> Have you ever considered being
1: an English teacher?
2: Uh I'm dyslexic. I'd be rubbish. <laughs> oh boy
1: yeah it's kind of uh an important thing to be able to do to be an english teacher
2: <laughs> yeah it's kind of a, an essential skill for the role i think yeah
0: i gotta say i have always wanted to be an english teacher not here in a different country you know just teaching like little kids english or something so that gives you literally a totally awesome cultural experience and i can see that being very rewarding
2: i've got a, i've got a friend who did that so he um he kind of he was he he got dumped by his fiance and he was in like a really bad place and then he saw an advert in the newspaper saying teach English abroad um and he went and did like a seminar and did, went down to London to like meet some people and they they like interviewed them and he got accepted and then he moved to uh Japan to the Fukuoka Island uh which is like one of the one of the ones in the south I think and he's never come back apart, <laughs> he, apart from visiting oh. <laughs> and he's got married and he's got kids there and he absolutely loves it. He, he just loves the culture and, and everything there and he's really happy there. So he <laughs> literally
0: know? just dipped and started living the dream. yeah
1: wow. yeah I was, I was literally going to say that sounds like he's living the dream.
2: I know and like he he said his, you know the culturally is, is quite different, some things are the same, but he was just he just something just clicked with him there he was really happy. Crazy, man. Um,
1: Zach,
0: I mean, what would you do if you were presented with an opportunity like that?
1: i definitely do it, I think. Um, I've been advised to go to Japan and teach English, actually, by other people. Um, Specifically older people at work that say, what are you doing here? Go travel. And it's like, oh, what money? You know, I kind of, one comes before the other. (laughs) But no, I definitely uh, would be interested in teaching English abroad. Because it's something I know how to do and hopefully. hopefully <laughs> and it's a r re- I think it's a really good opportunity to just get somewhere and have part of it covered already payment wise. Yeah. What about you, Achillium? Achillium? Reese?
2: <laughs> well, would I move to Japan?
1: Or would you just do like the whole teaching English thing?
2: Uh I don't know. I guess my wife is a teacher um, and she's always wanted to be a teacher and she's a really good teacher. And whenever I've been in those situations, I kind of just want to like dick about and have fun <laughs> and not necessarily do all the serious stuff. I'm like, great, a bunch of kids we will we'll have fun and we'll like do like do some crazy stuff and, and inspire them and all and never the stuff that they need just the fun stuff. So um, I don't think I'd be a very good. I don't think I'd be a very good teacher but um, maybe just wheel me in every once in a while to just get excited and do some do something crazy with it. But. I think that's why a lot of people want to
0: do it, actually, is they just, I mean, because obviously the peak of the job isn't going to be actually teaching the kids. It's going to be spending time with them and getting to know them and being able to, um, well, I guess partially, you know, the teaching part. It, it'll be rewarding, but... Um, you know, I guess that that is a big motivation as to why people do it in the first place. So I totally see your perspective, but I think that's a main reason why people do it.
2: I guess so, but I've seen how much paperwork my wife has to do as well. <laughs> that's, the, that's the, yeah, I think that, that is the spark that must drive people towards doing it, definitely. But um, in terms of like moving to a different country, I, I kind of, I did move to Canada from the UK two years ago. Um, but it is not as big a cultural difference as moving to Japan for definite. I didn't have to learn a new language or anything. I'm curious as to what the cultural differences are that you noticed. Um, do you know what I think? It's, it's kind of it's quite subtle, and I don't think you kind of realize it until you you move somewhere else. I think people tend to be people. Obviously, people are polite in Canada, but they say people are polite in the UK as well. Like, but. Oh I think boy, the, I don't know about that one. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just feel like the people won't say something nasty to you. There's kind of a very gentle, passive-aggressive kind of uh, way of communicating <laughs> displeasure in Canada. Boy, oh boy, which, I know how you feel on that one. <laughs> whereas in in the UK, someone will just you know in the UK, someone will just insult you um, mm-hmm. or shout at you or whatever. And uh, I think I think people tend to like. They they tend to put on that kind of like uh, that that nice persona and they don't tend to drop it and I think in the UK also um, people like to make fun of each other all the time they will constantly swear at each other and like use derogatory terms but that's like a sign of endearment that's what you you call your best friends the worst things possible um, and when I did that in Canada I upset people so. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> He was like, "Why would you keep? I thought we were getting on. Why do you keep calling me these names to like new friends and stuff?" I'm like, "Oh, I've just hit a like cultural brick wall." <laughs> so...
0: Boy, Reese, if you thought Canada was bad, <laughs>
2: <laughs> should I move to the states next? <laughs> uh,
0: most states are cool, but um, Minnesota is like that whole uh, passive aggressive that you're describing to oh, really? a whole different level, man. I don't, maybe I'm exaggerating a little bit, but um, in my eyes, the amount of passive aggressive that people hold here, it like, sometimes it's really hard to read whether somebody is being sarcastic or if they're just talking straight up. That's how passive aggressive people are.
2: <laughs> That's, uh, yeah, I can imagine like the, if it's kind of like an extreme version of Canadian, like kind of gentle passive aggressive, then it must be hard to navigate even if you're from there. It.
0: <laughs> oh, it's something, man. Let me tell you. But I mean it, it it could like all things, right? It could be worse. And so That's that's my perspective.
2: <laughs> I've always, I've always found like when I've been to to the US, that um maybe I, maybe I've just been to different states, but um people don't people aren't afraid to hold back as well. There's a kind of a real uh, openness emotionally where people will express themselves but maybe that's just the states i've been to maybe like it changes where have you been to um, um florida uh california nevada arizona utah which is a, only for only for like i drove through the corner of utah uh alaska and new york those are the ones i've been to okay i'm not
0: bad I'm ticking them off slowly. So, so for the most part, you've been to the southern states and New York. Yeah, yeah, all yeah, those yeah. places will be very straightforward with you. For yeah, sure. yeah, yeah, especially, <laughs> especially New York.
2: Yeah, oh. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I but um yeah, I suppose we mainly mainly the south and uh, Alaska. But um, people in Alaska were just really um, they were cold. Yeah, they were. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Just but it was the panhandle as well. So it was um quite isolated in a lot of the towns. So everyone was so friendly and welcoming. It was it was amazing. I, I actually had a similar
0: experience in Norway. Um I went to Stavanger, Norway to visit some long lost relatives. Oh wow. Very nice. Um I I think I've described it on an episode at some point. I think episode that has yet to come out. But I think episode three and a half. Yeah, something <laughs> like that. So I won't go too deep into it, but man, the the culture there was crazy. People were super, super hospitable. Um at least my family members, which, you know, hopefully they would be. And uh they were all just such awesome people and such uh wise people. But that being said, there weren't a lot of people. And so yeah. it's like it's kind of a balance, right? I find that um, in in cultures and places where there are more people, um, and this depends on the place, but people can be kind of, you know, people don't have to be nice, right? But in the places where there aren't a lot of people, if you're not nice to each other, then how are you going to survive as a community?
1: That's like a really simple take and it makes so much sense. (laughs) Like, if you have more people to interact with, you're less likely to have less people to, I guess, continue interacting with you if you're mean to them. Does that make any sense?
2: Yeah. And also, like, there's that fact that you've got to support each other because uh, one a neighbor who used to live near my parents in the UK, they moved to the far north of Scotland, where it's kind of, you know, really sparsely populated, really rural, highly, similar to Norway in a sense. And they would just leave the keys in, in the ignition in the car. Uh, and they were like, well, what if somebody needs to borrow the car? <laughs> so, like... yeah. that's,
1: that's funny, because I read a Reddit post the other day about a guy writing about how he accidentally stole a car for that reason. <laughs> Apparently wherever he lives, people just leave their keys in their car and he was at work and went out for lunch to and he or and he was driving down the road or something and he was gone for 45 minutes and on his way back to work, he realized that he wasn't in his own car. He was in a car that was the exact same make, model um but it was parked like two spots over from where his car was parked. <laughs> That's... And it all happened because they both just so happened to be people that <laughs> left their keys in their car. that's amazing They're the just so like, like yeah exactly
2: find that that's i mean one of the one of the like two or one of the biggest cultural differences I've noticed since moving to like North America, I guess is like how um important a car is <laughs> if you don't have mm. a car. Oh, yeah. Uh, Because, like, obviously, like the cities in Europe and other parts of the world were designed when people used to walk everywhere. So it was quite easy, you know, it's quite easy to walk to a pub or a shop or whatever you need. Whereas, um, I tried to get, we tried to get by with one car as a family of five. um, And I just found myself just being stranded. And it was like, Mm -hmm. it's a good hour's walk to the closest bus Mm -hmm. stop, even, you know, uh, it's kind of quite rural. So, um, and everything's like, you know, like, and everything is kind of designed around the road and the car which is which i found unusual yeah. to, to kind of get my head around really
1: and especially coming from the uk and even europe their whole transit system is just so much better than it is in north america
2: yeah i think i think france and once you get onto the continent is even like the uk it's got quite an integrated system but it's it's kind of I wouldn't. I don't. It's quite expensive, and is not like the best uh, in terms of how well it's run. But the um, the European ones, like the ones on the continent, are just mind blowing. And they do this 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 amazing rail pass where you it's, it's like it'd be about one hundred and fifty dollars or something like that, maybe one hundred and fifty two hundred dollars, and it allows you to travel on any train in pretty much anywhere in Europe for a month. So you can just just ride the train and pretty much go to like vienna um you can go to paris you can go to madrid all just using trains for this one pass it's amazing
0: oh funny you should mention that actually um i was looking into maybe it's a different pass that we're talking about but i was looking into something like that and uh i think it was called it was like the eu pass or the inner rail or something like that and the eu rail pass is what i had and apparently it, yeah based on uh what travelers have been describing. Spain and France aren't too friendly with the pass. And so if you take a train in Spain or France, you might have to pay extra money on top of already having the pass.
1: (laughs) I had to do that.
2: (laughs) That's like such a typical European thing. We're like, we're one big family. And then they argue about a train ticket. (laughs) Isn't that crazy
0: though? Because it's like, you guys are supposed to go along with it, you know?
2: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Plus, you find like some parts, like little pockets in Europe, and you know, like the UK was, not big, not a big fan of the whole EU project. So it's like you do Uh, get these smaller parts where people kind of reject it, and they vote in these kind of far right anti-EU parties. Uh, So maybe it's that. I don't know. (laughs) Um, Like they're even talking about having an EU like army. At one point uh when especially when like trump got in power and was <laughs> was it was not necessarily going to defend europe like the whole nato kind of system where if russia ever invaded they would all you know you invade one nato country the others come to defend them they were like right. maybe we need to build our own big army um so this kind of like is interesting it is the a lot of the countries still have a lot of autonomy like the state individual states do in the u.s but um it, more and more, there's a lot more cooperation and integration across those states, um, in in new ways. Like you could, uh, I've got a British passport, and the UK is still, I don't know, is it still technically in the EU? I, I I don't know, but I can I can when when I when it was still in the the EU and a full member, I could go and live and work and claim a pension in any other EU country and and kind of be treated equally, really.
0: I I did think that you guys got kicked out. I, I
1: remember <laughs> something about that, man. I think, I think, yeah, I think, you, I think you guys are out. But I think, if I'm not mistaken, you can still travel until a certain date. Yeah, like seamlessly.
2: Yeah, I think, and it's really sad because I think there's like a million, more than a million British people living in the EU, and then like a couple of million EU people living in the UK, and uh, like who've been living there for decades as well. It was you mm-hmm. know making people have to make a choice as a family where they're gonna. Like whether they whether they're gonna continue their lives really is kind of it's really sad is, um, and also the fact that you, you could just just apply for a job anywhere and just go and work there. Yeah, it's just such a shame to have that taken away from like young people in the UK. I, I
0: understand um, you know that uh, that the Britain wants to be individualistic or whatever, but uh, and you guys could have had a lot there.
2: I know. And it was like one of the most influential because it was one of the bigger economies and and also had one of the biggest military kind of um partners of of the whole whole kind of uh, organization you know in terms of the the kind of they still had nuclear weapons and you know still one of the still had more aircraft carriers. so on that basis there was like kind of a certain amount of clout as a country but I think a lot of people were nostalgic for this time when, like, the UK was like dominated in the world from this little island, and and not realizing that it doesn't work like that anymore. <laughs> so, yeah, like,
0: guys, we're uh, we're a little bit different now.
2: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> times have changed. So, um, yeah, I think the UK is just diminished. I think that's how I kind of feel from that whole thing, and not, um, they, and already the anti-EU parties who campaigned to leave the EU um they're talking about the fact that now they don't get to say uh, have a say on anything that's happening in the eu um with with no sense of irony that the reason they don't have a say on anything in the eu is because they left so
0: it's 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 (laughs) crazy really yeah because uh you guys used to be the powerhouse the ultimate powerhouse and then uh a couple people decided to come to the u.s and now we're the powerhouse so it's i mean i'm I guess that's a pretty bold statement, Liam. Um, we're seen as <laughs>
2: just simplifying it, sad.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I think like, and also the interesting thing is like, you, they don't really teach you about the British Empire in the UK. They 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 kind of skirt around it because uh, they just got yeah, well, there was an empire and and like a third of the world and half the population were controlled by Queen Victoria at one point and all this you know and all the legal systems uh, and the de- democratic systems are based on the british system around the world and all this amazing stuff and then they 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 leave out or they kind of they, they go anyway let's talk about the industrial revolution next and they don't <laughs> they don't go into detail about the genocide and the exploitation and all the other stuff that goes into it so it's kind of a right. uh, i think people have a nostalgic view of the empire mm. um when britain was like the technological and kind of military power in the world and cultural power in the world and now um i think because they wasn't taught with with a more balanced view um or not necessarily given in much detail i think there's a slightly warped perspective on it really and unrealistic as well so yeah i'm
0: i'm pretty happy and i can only speak for uh minnesota and actually the minneapolis area here but um i'm glad that that's not us when it comes to topics like slavery because that is something that we could very well try and hide, but we wouldn't be able to, you know.
2: Yeah, but that's that's the convenience of of the UK was like that. The the no one who lives in the UK is confronted with that what was done in those other countries uh, and the legacy of that because it's hundreds or thousands of miles away. So whereas obviously slavery, the you know the the repercussions of that. Uh, are all within america it was kind of within the borders of america the whole thing happened um i think that the uk likes to pretend that it was like a good guy in the whole slavery thing because they abolished it you know um slightly before america but they still did it for long <laughs> if you know what i mean so i think people there's a convenience to being on this little island in europe where you don't really have to deal with the the the, the, the kind of the people who were directly affected by it in that sense hmm
1: so in uh, Nova Scotia, there was um recently a uh, Canada's worst mass shooting. Mm. Were you affected by that at all?
2: The shoot the 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 sp- kind of spree, I guess you'd call yeah. it, ended about twenty five minutes away from my house. So holy shit, which is crazy. <laughs> um, he was actually heading in the direction of the city where we live. Um, Yikes! I don't know anyone who was was directly affected by it but i've got friends of friends who have lost someone or knew somebody who who was uh kind of uh, killed in that and everything and yeah it was really shocking especially like coming from the uk and um, where we did our research to go we don't want to go anywhere there's mass shootings and then <laughs> yeah. you know this happened but it was it was just really unfortunate and it's not a i think we're everyone here is just as shocked as we are i don't think it's a yeah it's a common thing by by any stretch no, of the imagination it really isn't. no no <laughs> so um it, the uh, we were you know as the whole community was was shocked and like we we were just uh shocked by it all and kind of trying to take it take it on board really and uh and it's amazing though you kind of find that everyone has come together and then um like and the government's taken action you know banning 1, assault different... style weapons, yeah. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And like public support use is like 80% behind it and everything. And I'm uh it seems like it's not that kind of thoughts and praise, it's action that has kind of directly said, right, okay, we're gonna try and do something about this, I guess. So um right. it feels nice that um the the government has stuck his neck out to to make that push, but um I've seen quite a few angry people online, uh, and I know they're the minority, but they're loud. <laughs> they're so loud. Yeah. <laughs>
1: um, and I guess for the viewers or slash listeners, um, that don't know, you run a podcast that's based on Canadian politics. Um, yes. So have you ha- have you had time to kind of research the political side of this new gun ban?
2: I haven't. Um, and I'm kind of purposefully gonna wait a while. Yeah don't
1: don't like save it for your podcast you don't have to <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I wanted to wait a while
2: but one one of the shows we want to do is about the um the covid 19 protesters like the oh okay about yeah. the because th- that's like it's happening in bc and it's happening in um toronto i know that mm-hmm. there was this you know the yahoos as doug ford called them but like i um i really want to do something on that but i'm going to focus on those current events but um the gun gun culture would be something i want to look we definitely talk about but i'll probably leave it for a while just because i don't want to feel like it's, it's a like a light-hearted comedy show so i don't want to wade into that yet at this stage oh, it's,
1: it can be anything it wants to be yeah, yeah it's wherever wherever it takes us last last episode we we're talking about
2: necrophilia oh really okay yeah, <laughs> so. no i do I, you know i've like set the reason i kind of did that podcast and we're only on episode six and it's barely been a month since we launched and my background was making directing and producing comedy back in the uk and i kind of like really missed making something funny when i moved to canada because i've got to work with some really cool clients in in canada but it's always kind of drier more like message focused like film and podcast content so um i just needed to do something fun for myself and i also did want to learn about canadian politics and when I tried to to listen to a podcast, I could learn from. I couldn't find one that would talk about it in the way that I wanted. So I was like, oh, "I'm gonna do, I'm gonna do one myself." Then and it's it's interesting. I tend to lean to more more towards the weirder stories, though. I'm like I'm not really interested in like the the day to day. How does a law get passed in Parliament? Yeah. or anything. <laughs> I mean, even if you're into politics, that's a stretch. So you know, it was much more the weird stuff and the the kind of drunk people and the fights and the. <laughs> the bizarre stories that you get really yeah there's some uh, pretty
1: interesting rules that exist in parliament now because <laughs> of some pretty interesting things that have happened <laughs> um i don't know if you're familiar with like the uh like the actual building of like the house of commons um they have these brass uh handrails i think in the past if you cross them you'd be like arrested instantly yeah and yeah all sorts of crazy stuff like that
2: is um have you seen the like the uk parliament the costumes like the people wear
1: i i haven't seen much of it but i've seen a couple yeah
2: so like if the queen the queen has to come and open parliament because technically she's still the head of state and she's (laughs) it's her parliament um it's you know the house of commons is the commoners electing leaders and all this kind of stuff and then the the costumes that they wheel out and the things she has to wear and the amount of gold <laughs> covered ornaments they carry around and it's just so weird it's yeah bizarre. we
1: have a big mace too yeah,
2: yeah exactly and, and the, sheer, the amount of wigs as well everyone's wearing a wig yeah
1: <laughs> does boris johnson wear a wig he doesn't need one it's, like, <laughs> it's all natural so <laughs> Um,
2: so what, what is the general consensus with him? Do you know what? I, I don't, I, I guess you're kind of removed from it now. Yeah, I am. And he's always been seen as like a bit of a, a joker and not being taken seriously. And some of the stories about him, like being addicted to cocaine and like going driving around London, beating up journalists that he'd disagree with him. And, you know, just, just, just a, like a, this kind of person of privilege, but just Sounds someone like a
0: just, UK version of Donald Trump.
2: Exactly, just just wild, you know. He he's he grew up like rich. He went to all the best schools. He's and he just had to have many, and you know, someone who's been raised with no limits, really, like Donald Trump. So I feel like in his own brain, he's capable of incredible things, and just that belief is enough to carry him to the point of where he is. Um, <laughs> but no, I I don't. I, most I think most people in the UK don't trust him, but they didn't but feel Yeah, like, <laughs> i don't think they felt like they had much choice at the election because the the labor leader was like a really quiet um kind of principled moral person but was absolutely thrashed in in the media and kind of he, he always tried to take the higher moral ground on arguments and not kind of get dirty and um it meant that people boris was really good at that and really good at quips and and making fun of him and he kind of danced around him and, and ran rings around him and that the press and Boris just being someone who was able to just spark off this kind of like fun energy and get people's attention just meant that he just seemed to, to get through and, and like, yeah, I think and a lot of people lent their votes to him because they were so bored of Brexit that he was yeah. like, we're just going to, his tagline was get Brexit done. And after two years of negotiation and people not knowing what's going on, they they were like, well, let's just vote for him because at least he's gonna finish the whole thing. Hmm. So that was the benefit of having one clear message, whereas the other party, like Labour, they they had all these very complex, complicated, like, uh, well-researched, thoughtful policies. That <laughs> uh, uh, exactly, and it, and, it, and he had like a few catchphrases, and that just got repeated and repeated and repeated. So. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I was I was actually kind of following the uh, the UK that well I don't I don't know what to call it but the, their election. Yeah, and uh, I've 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 heard James Cameron speak, and I was like hoping for them that he would get voted in, but
2: oh yeah, Jeremy the thing with Jeremy Corbyn as well is that his opinions haven't changed in 35, 40 years. He's still saying exactly the same things. So you know that he's not one of those people who would change his opinion based on the times. It's just that. He was in fashion, then he kind of went out of fashion, and then he came back into fashion again, kind of like uh, fanny packs. So <laughs> he... That's a really
1: good example. <laughs> he's
2: a political fanny pack. So yeah. he kind of, he, he was one of those people who, uh, but then everyone knew where he stood, and a lot of people liked him because they were like, well, he's, you know, he, he's been... Uh, he, I, and I think you've seen a lot like Bernie Sanders. You know, he was That's arrested he yeah. was arrested for protesting apartheid in the uk when a lot of the uk establishment was still supporting south africa um you know he's he's been one of those people and they used to they used to make fun of him because he used to wear um used to wear like a, a sweater that was knitted by his mother to to work and they were like you know he, he was against all these kind of like elitist tory mp's who had like the most expensive tailored suits and all this kind of thing and they used to like pick on him for that and you know it was just it was just quite an an interesting kind of character but um yeah it was was absolutely trashed by by the press and the media during the election and for years leading up as well and also um the more right-wing elements of his own party didn't like him either so he, he had to fight his own party while fighting the other party as well so Man, poor guy. <laughs> <laughs> the um the new labor leader is um uh, a guy called Keir Starmer and uh, I I I think he's he's quite good because he uh he was one of the, he ended up being one of the kind of most senior prosecutors in the whole country. But he kind of came from like a normal, quiet kind of background. He didn't go to any fancy schools. He was kind of educated in the state system worked his way up to this kind of really high legal position in the uk and now he's the labor leader so he's kind of relatable normal but also obviously very intelligent and understands like the the constitutional laws and everything else that come into it as well so he's he's kind of the opposite of boris which would be quite quite interesting i think
0: you seem to know a lot for not knowing a lot about british politics <laughs> <laughs>
2: I don't, I've always found politics but well, i always found politics interesting, but it tends to get me angry, so I try and forget about it and just watch Star Wars instead. But, <laughs> so it's like... um
0: I want to go back to something that we were talking about earlier that was um just like the shooting that happened. And oh yeah I'd I'd like to say, on behalf of an American to two Canadians. Like, I am totally sorry for what we started, man. Like, the amount of school shootings that happen here is not cool, and it's not okay. Like, there's there's a lot of things that I'll defend, right? But school shootings is definitely not one of them because that's the line where you're taking not. human <laughs> lives, you know. And so, I. But that's one of those things where it's like. I understand why people do it, though I don't defend them, you know? It's a cause of bullying. Like, disinclusion, you know? If, if people felt included in their schools, it wouldn't be an issue. Like, if the if people went out of their way to be friend the lonely, right? This wouldn't be an issue. But because certain people don't go out of their way to do that, and it's really not that hard, guys. You just say hi to the weird kid every here and there, man. Like, you're doing your whole school a favor, whether you believed or not.
2: And also, I guess as well is the it's kind of a mixture of that bullying, but also then how accessible a weapon of like mass killing is to that kid. So like how how e- how easy can they Well, that you know it could be a grown up as well. Like there was um uh, an incident in back in in Wales in the UK. Uh, in the last couple of days, where um, a lady went on a stabbing spree um, in, in the in the UK and on her street, it uh, and it's kind of. I think she, if if the UK had weapons, it would have you know it could potentially have been a mass shooting. She that was the the knife was the thing she had to take out uh, with her on the the kind of you know uh, manacle kind of rampage she went on, but I think that. Because there were no guns in that environment, or the guns aren't very widely owned in the UK, it was a stabbing spree instead. So I, I think it depends on like what. It's, it's sad that obviously it's, it's terrible that people get to that stage where they do it, but then also what options do they have when they get there in terms of being able to act on it in, in that sense? And I guess the US, it is much more, much easier to get hold of of something pretty mm-hmm. serious in that sense.
0: That's a good point, um, but I do have to say. High schoolers aren't allowed to get guns. Like, 90% of the time, like, they can't just walk into a store and get a gun. So, I believe that if the hatred is large enough, they'll do whatever they can to get a hold of that gun and just start shooting.
2: Yeah, I guess so. I I guess, like, it it depends on, like, do their parents own them? Do You know, how well are they stored or locked away with the parents? And... I mean, you could probably, you know, if you want to get hold of a gun illegally in the US, I, from what I've read, it, it, depending on where you are, I guess it's not that hard to do it. But, um, they're like sneaky, for, man. But, they're sneaky, yeah. for sure. It's like, <laughs> it, in,
0: it'll be like a friend of a friend of a friend, you know? Like, yeah, that's yeah, how exactly. it can be sometimes.
2: But, like, in the UK and in even in Canada, to be honest, I mean, I don't know many people who own guns in Canada. I know there's people who go hunting and everything like that, but, um, even if you tried really hard in in the UK, it would you you, you wouldn't. There's no way you could get hold of an assault rifle. Um, at at the very most, you might get a shotgun off a farmer or something, or like a you know like which you load one shell in at a time. But it wouldn't be yeah. like a a weapon that will allow you to mow people down in in the kind of like machine sense that you can with like an AR-15 or something.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You know that's not an option for you. Um, if there's just culturally. Uh, they don't have them but it but it's also interesting though because you look at a country like switzerland and everyone every adult does um national service in the military and every adult is then given an assault weapon to keep at home uh as in case they ever need to to defend switzerland seriously yes yeah wow. yeah, yeah so wow i never knew that and but there's is there's, there's, ne- there's like very little incidents of any kind of mass shooting and is a lot of assault weapons so it wow. is it is you're, you're right it is availability but there's also something cultural about you know about those weapons and access to them that uh that makes people behave differently and I don't know what that is I'm like I'm not <laughs> that's for, <laughs> that's for experts to analyze so. uh-huh.
0: I think it's simple really people undermine the importance of being nice to each other
1: yeah it's that and it's also education so and like my brother is in uh military college right now and he's been pounded to death with information about how to take care of a gun how to clean it how to take it apart how to use it don't point it at people all the good stuff um and when you've had it drilled into your head uh i think you've seen guns in a different way
2: yeah and i guess like there's a lot of i guess because because guns are so political in the us as well yeah um because it is it is written into the constitution it does change the argument uh because people are talking about it becomes it becomes more of like a, a human like, rights thing yeah and i, I kind of see like gun culture is almost like a religious thing not in the sense that it's linked to a religion but people believe in it in a way that um it's sacred to them to to have that gun in their home and to own it they celebrate it and to them is part of who they are and their identity, and you can't. It's, how do you divorce someone from that idea if if they see it as part of who they are? You know, is it's not an easy, it's not an easy thing to do in that sense. Uh, whereas in like Switzerland or in the military, it's a tool and you maintain it and you look after it and you respect the the danger of it. Whereas mm-hmm. when it becomes a culture, you know, you you by you see guns in the US for sale with like, you can have like custom handles done or you can have this printed on the side and, Ooh, and look, it's pink. Exactly. It's not, it's <laughs> not, it's, not, it's kind of, it's a culture. It's not necessarily a tool. It's, it's something that people are um, celebrating and enjoying and uh, kind of, uh, you know, identifying with it in a way that you don't get in other cultures, I guess.
0: That, that is one thing probably one of the only things that I do enjoy about living where I live in the U S is that guns, guns aren't really a, a huge thing in Minnesota. Like, don't get me wrong. People love to hunt, but I'd say it's very similar to how you would think of Canada where it's like, you know, people, people hunt. Sure. But, um, and I'm sure that we've had school shootings. I just can't remember off the top of my head. Um, but it would be way less common here than it would be in a state like Texas,
1: you know. Mhm. Yeah,
2: I I guess as well the it depends it, I I I I'm it's really interesting how the, how the states kind of differ on their approaches to to guns and stuff like that like, you know, obviously if you're in a yeah. if you're in a metropolitan like a city, uh, you know, gun ownership becomes a bit more a bit <laughs> a rural area you're gonna understand the gun culture like if you live in like northern alberta you're gonna want some kind of weapon because of the wildlife potentially you know so for sure whereas if you're in downtown calgary you don't really need that weapon with you at that point so uh, Mm -hmm. you know those more rural states i guess is minnesota rural or is it quite is it quite urban it's very half and half so um we
0: have minneapolis which is it's pretty big i mean Not compared to Toronto. Toronto has almost three million, and I think Minneapolis has like two. Just in the city, but okay, it's uh, I mean, it's it's a city, man. Like it's it's pretty decent. And then we have uh, Saint Paul, which has I think another two hundred thousand. Twin cities, we got four hundred thousand. Got Duluth. I don't know how many people are up there, but it's a pretty big amount too. And so, but aside from those three cities, and maybe this.
2: It can be pretty rural. Yeah, like Nova Scotia is quite interesting because it's—I think the population is a million, but half of that population lives in HRM, which is the Halifax Regional Municipality, which is the, the the city. But um, you go over to like New Brunswick, and it's just a giant forest, like really sparsely populated <laughs> forest, and it's so beautiful, and there's so many moose there, and it's incredible, but. Um, it is like a, you know, uh, the Maritimes is like such... It's heavily rural in, in that mm-hmm. sense. Even, a like, Halifax is, a, you know, half a million people, nearly. It's a good-sized city, but um, it doesn't take long for you to get outside of that city and just be in the middle of nowhere. Um, and even even then, like, you, you don't... There's not really a... I haven't seen a gun culture. I know people even in my neighborhood, like when we go hiking during hunting season and make all the kids wear orange hats, for instance. But, yeah. you know, I mean, we've been overcautious. I don't know. But um, I think like that there is that culture here, but it is specifically focused on hunting, I guess, and purely yeah. on the practical use of it. And then everyone I know who goes hunting, they're like, we butcher the animal, we eat every single part of it. it is, it's a kind of a, um, I guess it's a, it is a sport at the end of the day, but one where they... There's no wastefulness to it, and there's kind of a practical element to it. And they're able to feed their family out of a really nice barbecue for like six months. Mm-hmm.
0: Like, yeah, if only you could feed your family playing soccer. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs>
2: no, they just, if only, just You're get right drink. guys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not, ex- Not good enough. <laughs> yeah, it's one of the few sports we actually get a good meal out of doing it. Yeah, I, I was doing some filming. Uh, l- last year before last and i was up in northern ontario near it was about four hours drive north of thunder bay um so it was like wow that's up there that is up there (laughs) you know and they were as you drove past there were um moose like just hung up they'd been hunted and they were butchering them like in the front (sighs) yards um and just just you know huge animals and they were just strung strung up on the trees and you were just like you know there's enough meat there to feed that family for like eight months or something it was crazy yeah for sure but i can understand if you live up there that's a lot of people fish as well like the fishing Mm -hmm. there is incredible completely unspoiled kind of pristine landscape so you can get a lot from the land up there so i can see how hunting would actually be pretty essential to your existence if you live up there
1: that's one thing people don't really realize about canada is that i'm i I might be wrong here but it's i think it's 90 percent of our population just lives on along the border of u.s and canada and then that other 10% is scattered north basically um so my, most most of canada is untouched it's mostly wilderness which is uh, quite interesting to think about um considering like just your your day-to-day life for me around where i live is kind of like all i know um and it's hard to imagine that if i were to drive even like probably eight nine hours north of me i'd be like legit in the middle of nowhere
2: that's one of the things i love about canada though is that's one of the appeals for us is like endless <laughs> this kind of mm-hmm. you could just you could just do that you could just pack up and go somewhere completely different and yeah but also i love how like well that kind of isolation like the cultures that you get in those little pockets um and like how different things can be and like the music and the food and yeah just yeah it's it's it's, it's not many places like that anymore in the world where you've got that kind of huge like vast openness with very few people scattered across really
1: yeah and i guess you being from europe you know that you're in <laughs> if you're in <laughs> if you're in uh i'm i'm just trying to say you can you can drive hours and be in a different country in canada you can drive hours and not have left your driveway
2: yeah exactly like we drove uh, when we still lived in the uk Uh, our kids were younger we drove from um our house in south wales through england across the ferry to france down france through switzerland and into austria and we 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 had a holiday there uh and that was about 23 hours of driving and that was i mean you think we went through like was like four different countries in 23 yeah. hours and we, we broke it up over a few days we took our time because the kids were young and everything and um and then but you know that, that you pass through four different countries drove past you would lose count of the amount of cities and towns that you drove past as well mm-hmm. and then in canada you can just do that and you know i think it's an eight hour drive from here to quebec city where i am and <laughs> halifax is the biggest city between well and you know and quebec is the next biggest city or the biggest you know the only other major city even mm-hmm. if you go past like moncton and everything is kind of is it's, it's not huge so um it's quite a long time to drive without really seeing anything uh major really. yeah
1: that is the one drawback is that i know especially where i live from where i live to london ontario is just like the most boring drive ever <laughs> there's nothing to look at there's no cities no nothing and just for scale um when for, for my family, we used to drive to Florida every year, go to Disney World for a, our March break. And to get from the Toronto area to Orlando, it's about twenty-four hours of
2: driving. And that's one country that you yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> that's crazy. And also everyone still speaks English as well. Yeah, thank God. <laughs>
1: I mean like sometimes in Georgia you can't really tell, but <laughs>
0: What is what's your favorite anime?
2: I'm I'm not I've never really watched one. No, is that is that like mind blowing. <laughs> I figured not um, not really not particularly. <laughs> I kind of I don't, I I used to be really into comics, um, but it was mainly like kind of western stuff. I've never really. Um, uh, anime is the animation rather than the comics, isn't it? That's manga.
0: Yeah, so manga is the. Yeah, it's the comic version of it, and then anime yeah, is that's right, yeah. really cool. Uh...
2: I think the the closest I ever got to anime is um, uh, my kids like watching Pokemon from time to time. Okay, uh, and then um, uh, I I really like um, I used to really like Samurai Jack, and I know that there was stylistically a lot of influence from the anime, kind of like stuff in there so uh, uh but i've never really got into it directly
0: we've talked um
2: i don't think samurai jack is an anime no no i mean it's just influenced by okay. uh, some of,
0: like the, the way the fight scenes are constructed and everything So okay yeah, yeah. i know because i used to have a teacher um in college and uh when we asked him what his favorite anime was and he said samurai jack
2: oh no no we're that's like just, uh, that's just word that's I word association know. i think so. <laughs> But no, no, it was it was more. If you, I think the the fight scenes and stuff, and also they they they've used it a lot in um, uh, what was it the this like some of the newer DC cartoons uh seem really heavily influenced by that style as well. Like, uh, have you ever watched Young Justice? Is that like a Teen the Titans DC. thing? Yeah, but it looks um very much and kind of the animation style is very much uh it, it does look heavily influenced by like Japanese style animation. Um it seems like that is the style that um yeah, it seems to have had such an influence on Western animation that it's start the West animation is starting to look a lot like it I feel. In in terms of um American animation? Yeah.
0: Uh I I mean, I guess I just liked the, uh, the old Teen Titans that they had, man. Um, the one oh, before the, they made yeah, the, yeah, yeah. the crappy, uh, Teen Titans Go show, like the really bad one that's on <laughs> Cartoon Network now. It, it was around in like 2010, I think. Like I wasn't, I just remember watching it when I was a teenager. So, but I don't, I don't remember watching a ton of it. I just remember that it watched really, sorry, watched, it
2: looked really nice. It was the. It was like it had much more like mature storylines and like narrative arcs over the full series, and and it was just. I think it was there was like character development and stuff. I think it was just a bit more grown up than um, a lot of cartoons these days. Kind of, I find a lot of kids' cartoons these days tend to be go for that kind of uh, Family Guy style gag ratio, which uh, is yeah. co- you know nothing really ties up at the end. It's just a series of random funny occurrences whereas like that show was very much more grounded in like um yeah let's let's have let's have character development let's have a, an arc in each episode and then across the whole season so i i kind of i i think that's why it kind of stood out because it, it did kind of go for that ap- approach really
0: and you know as a grown-ass adult i will gladly watch a cartoon <laughs> like that man like as long as it <laughs> as long as it's progressing and it's moving forward man. i I can't watch The Simpsons. I can't watch Family Guy because they are so incredibly stupid. I'm sorry. They're hard to watch for me, man. They're hard. Like, I get the um, shock value and the, and the funny aspect of it. But this is stuff that I would laugh at when I was, like, 13.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think... And I think, like, you do... You get, like, different styles. And, like, Teen Titans Go is very much, like... You know, it. it is... My kids really like it, and I kind of laugh at some of the, some of the gags and the callbacks and stuff in it. But there is no real, yeah, like narrative or development or anything to kind of keep you keep you hooked as an adult. I really like those shows which you can watch with kids and then also enjoy as an adult. is kind of like that Pixar model of like mm-hmm. all the family gets something from watching it, and some cartoons are just pitched at you know like a certain certain demographic and. Don't try and win everybody over. And every now and again, you get those shows that do. And um, yeah, you can just watch them at any age and still appreciate it.
0: Yeah. Um, I've heard similar things about a show called Steven
2: Universe. Yeah, I've never watched that, but I've seen it. I've seen I've seen people that, like incredibly passionate about it. And you do find that when people get really passionate about something, you go, oh, it's probably worth checking out if they're right. willing to get tattoos, then it must be good. <laughs> I just
0: I don't like the uh the style of it. It to me it just it is very kiddish style, so that's why I'm not super drawn to it. But uh okay. apparently it has adult like themes, so I don't know.
2: Yeah, like the Animaniacs. I don't know if you remember that. i used to have that was quite random, but it had some really uh kind of hidden uh smutty jokes in some cases, like dirty humor. For adults in this kids kind of cartoon, sure. Yep. Um, I'm I trying to think of the one. There's quite one quite famous joke. I think that they say, um, "Right now we need to get now we need fingerprints." Uh, and I think they were being detectives or something. It was like a Sherlock Holmes style episode. And then one of them grabs prints, and they're like, "No fingerprints," as in, as in the mistake was fingerprints. <laughs> so. <laughs> Oh, and this no. is—I know—if you Google it, you'll find it. But is um, yeah, the the fingerprints uh, Animaniacs episode. I can't believe they got away with it. Um, what do you guys think
0: about Bronies?
2: Is that man into My Little Pony?
0: Yeah, because that's that's what this conversation reminds me of. Is like grown ass adult liking kids cartoons, you know.
2: Yeah, um, I, d- I guess some of, I can see like if there's like a real quality to the original cartoon and you associate it with like certain kind of emotion or time in your life, then you can get enjoyment from watching her again but I don't understand when people get really obsessed with something that was average <laughs> I guess in that sense and for it to become like a movement in in such a way that it is I guess I don't really know a huge about about it but um, what I've seen seen on Reddit, it kind of, it looks kind of weird, I guess.
1: Yeah, I don't know if I totally understand it, but uh, t- to my knowledge, it's like grown men that are like, not into My Little Pony, they're like, into oh, My Little wow, Pony. Right. Okay. Um. Yeah,
0: the only reason I bring <laughs> it up is because I've been watching a ton of... Oh, you have something to tell us? <laughs> presentations about teenage (laughs) boys talking about how they love this show like it's like a school yeah it's like school presentations i I basically just searched on youtube my little pony presentation and it's any like 15 plus year old boy so like even college some of these guys um going up to a stage with a slideshow and talking about their favorite show now let me tell you, that was one of the funnest nights I had, man. Like, I was laughing my ass off the entire time. But, but, there were one or two points that they made I thought sounded very interesting. Um, sure. And boy, I wish I could think about uh, them on the top of my head. But something that each presentation keep mentioning is once you watch the first episode, you'll be hooked. What do you guys think about that? Do you guys think that you could uh sink your dignity enough to watch the first episode of a little girl show? I definitely
1: could and prove them wrong.
2: <laughs> just to just to contradict them. Yeah. <laughs> and then give a presentation on it. I tried. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I tried this and you're wrong. Just to counter your <laughs> I don't I, I I end up like watching weird stuff because my kids like watching weird stuff and like That's okay, right?
0: Because you have kids. So if you were to say, "I watch My Little Pony," I wouldn't be weirded out in your case, you know.
2: No, no, but like, but like they watch things like, um, they watch this this YouTube channel called Roma and Diana. I don't know if you've you've heard of it, but it's just two a brother and sister, and their parents make like funny little stories with them. But I think they're sponsored by like big brands because they're always playing with like the latest toy and opening them up and, um. And they've got like 52 million subscribers on YouTube, and it's just—I think they make a lot of money from these videos. And my kids wow. will just sit there and watch it for hours. Um, I probably shouldn't let them, but um, sometimes it's convenient. <laughs> but they, um, sometimes you just need a break. Exactly. <laughs> sometimes I need to do my work during lockdown. <laughs> so, um, and then the other thing—they'll they, just watch other people play Minecraft or uh, for, mm-hmm. for hours. They, we've got this—we've got a Roku TV with this like Minecraft app. And it's just people live streaming Minecraft, but it's like kid friendly. They're, so, um, and they just watch that. They're just really uh, entertained by watching other people do Minecraft, which uh, I don't know. I guess, I mean, there's a whole industry around watching other people play video games, which I don't get. But it, it's got a huge appeal to, to younger people, I guess.
0: Have, have they ever watched Jacksepticeye? Because I feel like as a, a UK dad, I would be envious if my kids were watching a uh, Irish guy play video games.
2: No. No, mm. they haven't. No. Because um, they're not allowed? <laughs> I, no, I just I guess, do you know, we, we, we did have, we had a YouTube app on the TV um, and they were watching like kid-friendly stuff and we were like you know, we, we created a profile that was for that. But the one thing that wasn't filtered was the advertising and they got targeted with uh, horror films. So there was a trailer. Oh, there was a trailer I know there was a trailer with a spider going in somebody's mouth. Oh. And it really, it really traumatized <laughs> our five-year-old. He was, and I was like, well, we've got no control over those. They just plonked in by an algorithm. Whereas the, they couldn't, they can could only see videos that were age appropriate. But the adverts were just targeting them, and it was, it was. We, we had to delete it just because of that. Really. <laughs> so wow. A, I know. YouTube shooting themselves in the foot. It's bizarre.
0: Airy, but I mean, I, I I guess it's just a guess at the end of the day, right? It's just hoping that it's an adult watching it. They really don't know.
2: No, exactly. And like, if they just look at the information, yeah, I set the profile up, but I set the profile up for maybe maybe my information is attached to it, but I set it up for my kids, not for me. So you know.
1: Right, and the and the videos are pretty much kid geared towards kids, so you think you'd get appropriate ads. Exactly.
2: I mean, like, you know, you don't want your kids to be bombarded with, like, the latest toy and them, like, be chasing after and all this kind of stuff, so... Uh, but you don't mind because they're watching the content, and that's how the people get paid to do it, so you're like, yeah, fine. Um, And I, I'm from the UK, where, like, you watch the BBC and there's no commercials, so you kind of tend to really? be a bit, like... yeah, whoa, whoa, there's Wait, no com- wait, 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 wait. The BBC doesn't have commercials? <laughs> no, 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 You you can you watch it and it's completely funded by, so they have a thing called the TV license, so if you own a TV you have to buy a license to own the TV and it'd probably be about $200 $200, $250 a year and that basically pays for all the programming uh, uh, and funds the BBC and then what happens is that the BBC then makes a ton of money selling that British content abroad as well, so it's kind of like is kind of, and that's how the model has been since the 50s, so it's kind of like Netflix, but 70 years earlier, and that's the, the <laughs> model that's been going on there, really.
0: Now, going back to the YouTube thing, do you know what COPPA is?
2: COPPA, no,
0: so might be in the green now. So, basically, YouTube implemented a thing quite recently called COPPA. Um, actually, they were forced to implement it, I think, by the American government, um, just because stuff like that happened where, uh kids would get targeted with, uh, for example, an inappropriate video that Logan Paul made, right? Cause like most of his videos are for kids, but it's kind of in a gray area, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. um, stuff like that. And so basically they were forced to implement a rule where the content creator, when uploading a video to YouTube has to check a box that says this video is made for kids. And if you don't check the box, it only goes to 18 plus accounts. Okay. But yeah, um, so nice little thing for uh, you to know if you ever want to get back into
2: that app. Yeah, yeah, no, that's good to know. I imagine they've changed it. I, I did hear about the um, the algorithm trying to suggest videos that they like were slightly more extreme than the last one you watched. Um, I remember listening to a podcast talking about it and it was saying that it was taking people down some really dark routes. <laughs> <laughs> because <laughs> cause it was like, well, if they show you something more provocative, you're more likely to click the next video. And then, like, mm-hmm. so it could, it would, take people from like just watching normal political videos to end up watching like hardcore like nazi propaganda
1: radicalizing exactly
2: (laughs) and it was just saying that you know is a that algorithm and i don't know if they've changed it since was kind of like a radicalization engine essentially where it would just keep feeding people stuff that was more and more extreme which is weird uh, I'm just imagining your kids watching, like, toy unboxing videos, and then
1: <laughs> the next one in the in the suggestion box is just, toy unboxing videos on fire! <laughs>
2: <laughs> kids executing their dolls and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I,
0: I gotta say, the only thing that I don't like about Kappa is that a lot of content creators are relying on both kids and adults for their content, and now having to check that box, they, even though all of it is, like, family-friendly, right? They're forced just in case to say that it's made for adults yeah which really affects your fan base you know
2: i guess as well like the is is a hard pitch as well because also like it's all about niches like podcasts and everything is like you go for a particular audience but you often end up finding an audience you don't expect so you might be making something that you think is going to appeal to people into one thing and they're gonna probably be about the same age as me and then you end up suddenly having a following of people who are like kids or uh you know seniors or whatever it may be and it kind of limits you from like discovering an audience you wouldn't normally um be able to predict but spontaneous just spontaneously just kind of happens really
0: yeah and it sucks because youtube isn't on a good path right now to begin with. Like, they've already gotten so much worse than they were around 2012 to 2015. And they yeah. just keep going down, man, and this did not help.
2: I, I don't know if I told you this story when we spoke before, but um, I, I, did I tell you about my early days on YouTube. So when I was... I started... I, I kind of... I made my first film that ended up on tv just just by by luck when i was like 19 so i was really lucky i got an early foot in the door and it was just a really short film about um uh binge drinking in the uk that was when i was part of like a series of psas on the bbc and it was like a minute long or two minutes long but at the time i was looking i was getting more into doing tv work but um youtube had was kind of pretty new as well a few years later so I started creating a YouTube channel and um it was a year or two old it was still like very early days on YouTube um I started getting a, a good following and this must be early 2000s I don't know the exact year but I was the 17th most subscribed comedian on YouTube and I only had like 200 subscribers so that's how early it was in the YouTube days and and there was another channel on there that was set up by, you know, Cheech and Chong. It was Cheech <laughs> out of Cheech and Chong. And he he liked one of my videos and we started chatting on there because he was like, what? yeah, this is cool. This is YouTube. And I was like, hey. And he was like, and he left a comment on one of my videos and he was like, really like your stuff. And I like screenshotted it and like framed it on the wall. And like <laughs> and then and then I started again busy with TV work. And I kind of forgot about that channel and didn't do anything with it. And like I now realize that like that could have been if I'd stuck with it to be there early on and just built just by even if I was any good or not, just by the the virtue of being there first. <laughs> I could have could have been like a big empire <laughs> of like production and stuff. But you could have been a filmmaker for Cheech. Exactly. I could have just followed him around in his day to day life. <laughs> but um and then it, I mean like the consolidation prize was I was making TV shows for the BBC, but at the same time I could have done the YouTube thing if i taken it more seriously uh but again you know it's hindsight i didn't think i was yeah. I, I couldn't see how you could ever make money off youtube whereas right like, back could, then
1: it definitely didn't seem like a possibility
2: no exactly it didn't seem like it was a plausible it was like how would you make money you know there's there's no way it'll, it'll work out and then uh you know it grew and grew and then like yeah uh it, people worked it out and now it's you know a money printing machine for some people but um, or
0: the people who don't know who is that guy which guy? Cheech and Chong.
2: Yeah. They're like do you know Cheech? How do you describe them? They're like stoner comedy legends from the 70s, aren't they?
1: Yeah. Um and Tom Chong's actually Canadian. Oh, there you go.
2: He's from BC. It's amazing how many famous comedic actors are Canadian. Mm-hmm. I was were to- talking about this earlier with someone like John Candy, Leslie Nielsen, um Jim Carrey, um Mike Myers. Mike Myers, yeah. Uh, Seth Rogen. It's bizarre. Yeah.
1: Um. So Ryan Gosling. <laughs> <laughs> are you Ryan Reynolds?
0: <laughs> Just keep adding more. Okay, I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> um. Okay. Cool. So guys, um, are you a Doctor Who fan?
1: I can't say I am.
2: Yeah, I'm I'm not. I've always found it a bit um I don't know. I just I, I just don't take it as seriously as other kind of sci fi uh shows. But I kind of I'm I'm a bit of a traitor for saying that because all the new Doctor Who stuff is shot like twenty minutes from where I used to live in Wales. Um and like a lot of the production and the like a girl I was in school with, she does the prosthetics for like the aliens and stuff and <laughs> and that, like, everyone loves it and supports it because it's this like globally known production that's done in south wales but i've never been into the show <laughs> so.
0: when you should say uh that you should like the newer stuff i'm not a big fan of the newer stuff uh I, well i'm sure that you know that the new doctor is a girl right yeah i'm sure that you know that much so um The show was always, in my eyes, right, was supposed to be like, okay, really cool guy, hot sidekick, badass stuff, you know, kind of that action-adventure sci-fi appeal to it. And and I don't mean to be sexist at all when I say this, right, I just don't think that it fits as well when a female is the Doctor. Not to say that it doesn't fit at all, right? Like, she'll have her role. I just don't think that it fits that theme that they were going for in all of Doctor Who and now suddenly making the switch. It's like... It it just feels kind of funny. Like, weird taste in your mouth. Again,
2: not that it's bad, but it's
0: just different.
2: I guess it's kind of a... I mean, it's like they did the, the remake of Ghostbusters and they did Oceans... Mm-hmm. What was it, Oceans 8? Or the the think, remake? Yeah, something like that. I guess... I I which, which I can I can I understand the impulse to make those films but I like the idea of rather than making some of this derivative of something was already a hit with men and then switch it with women and much rather than invest the time and the creative talent in something new
1: yeah that is sure. female
2: led for definite you know I think that um uh, it, it's you know it, I can I can understand why that the remake like that is quite a cool twist on doing it um but at the same time you don't have to that kind of remake culture is 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 tiresome and it doesn't really give that talent involved a fair chance to make something new and use their abilities i think is always going to be measured up against the the version with men in that sense because that's the one everyone remembers (laughs) you know when it was a hit decades ago so yeah i know you mean it's it's kind of there's a there's a formula to it but for me the 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 ultimate british sci-fi show is red dwarf i don't know if you've either Hmm. seen either have you seen red dwarf Oh, it's I about. don't think so. It's uh, it's still going, and it's been going since the kind of uh, I'd say it's been going since the late eighties, early nineties, I think. So that the idea is that um, a a mining spaceship uh has a radiation leak, and is adrift in space for three million years, and the radiation leak kills everyone on board, apart from uh one of the employees who's in stasis as a punishment because that's their idea of of prison is they they freeze people for a period <laughs> time uh and his cat so his cat survives as well and over that 3 million years the cat is part of the cat had had kittens and the cats evolve into human like creatures <laughs> um over the and then there's literally one left because obviously the gene pool is really small and and this one human like human cat kind of hybrid because they adapted to live in a human environment in space is there and he wakes up there's this cat person and then they bring back his (laughs) they bring back the 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 ai that runs the ship after three million years is kind of becomes slightly uh i guess is intelligent it was supposed to be like insanely intelligent and his intelligence has been reduced massively and um it gets all his facts from this like children's encyclopedia so (laughs) (laughs) um and then and then the uh his his old roommate in on the ship is brought back as a hologram uh based on uh, a copy of his memory from when he first came on the ship and it's is them just drifting through space just trying to cope with all these kind of sci-fi threats None of them are experts. None of them are soldiers, or and it, it was it was like the whole concept is this is like sci-fi, but just normal, uh, unprepared people trying to deal with it way out with way out of their league, and it's really good. It's it's very British, but um, the, it, the the novels are amazing, and then the TV show is kind of a spin-off of the novel.
1: Yeah, that's a really unique idea. I can't believe I've ever heard of that. It's, it's surprisingly specific.
2: Red Dwarf. <laughs> yeah <laughs> this is great and they also they, they they did this great robot um like in the later series this robot joins on with them and he's um uh like a like a like a housekeeper like a maid so he kind of looks after them and he's got this uh hoover attachment because he's got a built-in hoover <laughs> and it attaches to like his groin so, <laughs> so there's some really good gags and i remember watching a documentary about it like when he'd been running for a few years they did a documentary and they they had Patrick Stewart talking about the first time he watched Red Dwarf. And he actually called his lawyer because he wanted to sue them because they were making fun of Star Trek so well. (laughs) (laughs) And then he realized he was actually enjoying himself watching her and put the phone down. (laughs) (laughs) It's
0: funny because it shows like that. And I mean, hey, even Dr. Who, it's like, how
2: do you describe it to people? Yeah. Those are the best concepts, the ones that are really hard to... (laughs) To nail.
0: <laughs> man flies around on a blue telephone booth it's like it... bro imagine being in the boardroom trying to present that to somebody at the bbc
2: i guarantee though it wasn't based on like a really highbrow concept it was probably based on what props they had lying around and they were like we can't afford a spaceship we've got this oh. it probably like cobbled it together based on that or maybe i'm wrong maybe it was kind of somebody had the idea for it but um it's funny how those things organically kind of grow out of uh, those situations, I guess.
0: Aren't telephone booths supposed to be kind of red or do you
2: guys it's, have blue ones over there? Oh no, no, it's not a phone box. It's a police box. So, Oh yeah, new? yeah, yeah. That's right. So that's it used right. to just be where police officers could store equipment and things. If they, if it wasn't, you know, a police station nearby, um, uh, police things, spare hats, you know, batons, kind of I guess, but, um, so they, you don't see them in the UK anymore. They're incredibly rare, but the, they still use the phone boxes. Um, but they don't have phones in them as much anymore because everyone, yeah. uh, they have um, uh, those heart defibrillators or the, you know, the oh CBR kits. Yeah, yeah. Or they like Wi-Fi hotspots or they you can, go, you can go in there and it's like an ATM. So they've kind of like, they still have them, but they've changed the use of them that people have.
0: Yeah, I uh, I used a phone booth once, maybe when I was around seven. That's the last <laughs> I heard of it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, I, I still remember going when i was like on vacation like my friends when i was like 17 18 i just started driving and we go down to cornwall in the south of the uk to go surfing i always remember that was even i didn't have a, a cell phone so we always used to uh, use payphones just to ring home and you'd always have to have change and you'd like line it up and there'd be a queue of people and you'd have to go in <laughs> and just <laughs> slot your changes as you went and then even even when like cell phones came out I didn't. I I would still use a payphone because it was cheaper to use than the plan I had because it was still sort of new. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, it's it's, it's bizarre how you are kind of um, yeah. I I've got lots of memories with like using them and everything, but they just don't exist. There's no need for them anymore, I suppose. My grandmother, they used to live opposite a phone box, and um, the no, it was this was when nobody had phones in their houses. So everyone would like be looking out the window, waiting to see if it was empty. And then uh, someone would come out and like people would race from their front doors to go, <laughs> go and use the next. <laughs> and that was the only way they could stay in touch. And then my, my grandmother and grandfather, they were the first people on the street to get a phone. And then if the phone box was full, people would knock the door asking if they could come and use their phone. <laughs> 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 it's just crazy when you think about it in those terms. Well, it's
0: crazy because i mean i'm I'm talking to you guys on a phone that hey, I don't even use anymore like i've a I have a nicer phone like I'm recording this on an old phone that I don't use, and even this phone is way better than a pay phone you know it's it's crazy that the technological advancements that we've made just in the last twenty years it's insane
2: well, I think like my first phone was like a, a Motorola uh, handset and it was like a brick with like a big rigid aerial that came out of the top and that's this, exactly what my first phone was <laughs> and this was this has been about i think it was about 16 just like 2000 and then but i remember as a kid my dad used to have a briefcase and the briefcase was the phone yeah and i opened <laughs> it up was just like and like you'd have to open it up and it looked like the kind of nuclear command codes or something (laughs) the football exactly exactly so (laughs) So, yeah
0: let me just put my phone on the overhead compartment real quick
2: exactly
1: (laughs) i gotta check my phone hold
2: on (laughs) (laughs) but yeah it's is is bizarre how fast the technology and then like well yeah 20 years later now i've got essentially a computer in my pocket with a really good camera and everything else that i need it's just bizarre
1: It's a computer. It's literally a computer that you can stick in your pocket. It's nuts.
0: You know what I think is crazy, too, is the fact that phones have advanced and so have computers. Because you would think that because phones have become such a norm, computers would have died. But they haven't, which is crazy on its own.
1: Well, Well, I I think the processing power and just there's so much more possibility with computers coding and... You need
0: computers still. Right, but they could have made that push. At some point, they could have.
1: Um, I don't think so. I think so. I I don't think you can get the processing power of a computer into a cell phone.
0: Ooh, I gotta disagree with you on that, man. I think this is the first time we've ever disagreed on
2: the pod, man. We made this is it four episodes in. Let's go. Is this the end of the podcast now? We're we don't just... have a Jamie to look <laughs> it up. <laughs> um, the thing I find weird, though, is like technology, like obviously computers are getting more powerful. Cell phones are getting more powerful and like smart TVs and everything. And the one thing that hasn't changed and is still as shitty as it was in the 90s is the printer.
0: Yes. Oh. Yes, sir.
2: That's the one thing that they've really not bothered trying to fix. Like, how
1: hard is it to make a a paper jam free printer? Exactly. <laughs> exactly.
2: I have the same printing problems now that I did when I was in the late 90s. It's just no difference.
1: Like, it's going to take me half an hour to print off this three-page document, but I can use my finger to open my phone. I don't <laughs> even have to press a button. Like Exactly. Or, oh, how about I'm just going to look at my phone and it's going to unlock.
2: Yeah, that's weird. Mine does that, and it freaks Damn. me out every time.
0: i'm happy i'm not at that stage yet i still have an old enough phone where i'm
2: uh doing the fingerprint
1: yeah same
2: (laughs) (laughs) yeah you just find like especially and uh, like technology in cars as well like the speaker systems and like the the safety and all that kind of stuff is incredible um and like the impact the crash you know the Mm -hmm. crash technology and is still just burning oil essentially and that hasn't changed for like 120 years (laughs) yeah there's like some parts of it are amazing and other parts of it are just you know have not changed that bit at all
0: you guys believe that um the government is using the data that we insert into phones for their own database for example the face id and the touch id
2: probably i'd be surprised if they didn't right just didn't that like I I imagine like even like Google Docs you think Google can see everyone's documentation and spreadsheets and all this kind of information that used to be on separate computers so I imagine that if the government told Google that they needed to look at it for security reasons they would probably do it with them they probably help them develop it you know is the 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 in, especially like even in the UK like the, there's a big listening station in. Cheltenham in um just it's like the Cotswolds in the kind of middle of England and it looks like this super high-tech looking donut building um and like it's a listing post where they just you know anything that is flagged digitally in terms of emails phone calls messages um is kind of monitored through there so I think I think like I think I I I think they kind of keep all of it and whether it's anonymous or not I don't know but uh, even like you look at um some of the whistleblowers and things you've had, you know, mm-hmm. I'd be surprised if they didn't, I guess. It's it's kind of scary, right? When
0: we were starting this podcast, you know, we just made a Google account. That was one of the first things that we did. And it was like, oh, sweet. We got a Google Sheets and, and Google Forms and, you know, all these things that we can use to help us build the podcast. And it, it might not be that sweet once you look a little bit further.
1: I mean, but like there's not information on there that I would care if anyone knew about. No. But still not the most comforting. It doesn't really bother me that much. <laughs> I know we're supposed to want our privacy because that's like the last thing we have left. I just like for me though, like this the whole like the government's watching me, like go ahead. I'm not hiding anything. <laughs>
2: You know, secretly masterminding a secret, like, terrorist cell. No.
1: I mean, I don't think I am. <laughs> you you might be. You don't know. I, yeah, maybe, yeah. yeah. And then, in that case, government, get the hell off my computer. <laughs> I guess
0: when it comes to stuff like any of the Google programs, that's when it's like, yeah, okay, none of that really matters. But when it comes to stuff like Touch ID and Face ID, to me, that's where it's crossing the line.
2: But it's like it's like when you go into... Uh, like in an airport and you fly anywhere, they take your fingerprints and everything anyway these days, you know, they do mm-hmm. they track you uh, on that basis. So yeah, but people, they just expect to be able to take that information off you anyway. Now these days, it's a new normal is what you're saying. Yeah. And even like people saying, don't get uh, one of the Chinese phones, like a Huawei phone because the Chinese government keeps the data or, you know, is using it to track you. And I'm just like, but it's, what what are you doing with the other phones? You know, with a, with like an with an Apple, like with an iPhone, it, I you know is you you just choosing which government gets to have your data? It's like you know is is it just inevitable with with everything that's going on?
0: I suppose. Have you guys heard about browser fingerprinting? Uh, is that to like track you on the internet? Kind of, yeah. Um, uh, so- I don't think I have. Yeah, so it's something that. Like, I think I'm pretty technologically advanced, right? I think I know a lot of things. And this is something that I just learned about. Um, Basically, what it is, is that if you click on a certain website, uh, people just get data like what browser you're using, what version it is, um, the history of your browser, something like that. And so stuff that you should be, you know, fine, where it's like, okay, yeah, whatever. But for some people, that can be a really big deal, you know? Especially especially if you're using a browser that's not common. So like a is an example of one where it's a less common browser. Um do you guys know what a is? No. It's like a I don't it's like a browser. Um people are on a mission to save trees and so it's a browser that helps with that. And uh I believe every time you search it's like it, they donate. Two cents or something to an organization that helps with saving trees. B- basically, if you use a website like that, a less common browser, it can basically look at that and then figure out a bunch of other things like your PC, what programs you've been running recently. Um, and this is based off of the little information that I know, but that seems like it'd be pretty detrimental when it comes
1: to your privacy, especially on a computer. The one thing, the only thing I'm worried about in terms of, like, information getting out there is really just my banking information. Because I online bank on my computer and my phone. But other than that, like, take my picture or, (laughs) like, I'm pretty sure both governments I've been involved with, U.S. and Canada, have my fingerprints, so I... (laughs)
0: And online banking, too. That's something that's, that's the most scary to me as well yeah yeah for sure
2: I kind of think like the like even when you when you kind of go into public spaces and everything like they're doing that facial recognition and in the UK they were trying her out in London and somebody covered their face up and it was just like a trial that the, the, the police they were doing and they said I don't want to be in this um, in this trial I'm covering my face up because I don't want you to capture my face and they arrested him <laughs> Because he wouldn't, because he wouldn't let them scan his face, <laughs> so, which is pretty dark.
1: Yeah, I wonder what the grounds for that arrest were.
0: Yeah,
2: it's bizarre.
0: I saw, I saw a video, um, just recently. I believe it was in the New York area, and uh, basically, police were arresting a guy, and there was a. Tall man that walked over to where they were, and he said, Hey, what do he you do? I didn't think he did anything wrong. And a police officer takes a taser and triggers it a few times and says, Hey, you better back off. And the guy, it very calm, might I add, says again, uh, he didn't do anything wrong. And the cop basically full-on tackles the guy, brings him to the <laughs> ground. And gets him ready to be handcuffed. And then the other police officer comes over, like, starts kicking the guy. And then they handcuff him. I, I think that, mm. um, like, police officers, um, I don't think that enough people respect police officers, man. Police officers have a hard job. And I think that a lot of society doesn't respect what they do. That being said, there are some police officers that overuse their power. And sure. the ones that do, that's not okay.
2: I mean, that, that's the thing, though. Like, police officers is a, cro- a cross section of society, make up that group of people. It's like, you would have any cross section of any kind of profession. And you always get those people who get a little bit carried away with a role, uh, whether they're a security guard or whether they're a, you know, um, someone who controls the line at a water park for a slide you know you get those people who really, really get into the power they have in that moment and, <laughs> yeah and like whereas other people are responsible and moral and can just handle it all and you know always do the right thing i guess so yeah it's just it's just a shame when it's like you see such extreme circumstances based on how that person views their job and everything i guess it's
1: funny when you think about it that way because when you said uh someone that's could you know like patrolling the line at a water park yeah, yeah. i was thinking of this one specific guy at the ski hill that i would go to in the winter it's this one guy that would always like get mad at me for putting like the bar up too early and it, like it doesn't really make a difference but he was like so persistent that i would like put the bar up on time and it's just silly
2: that, that might have been like the only bit of power and control he had in his life so i think exactly <laughs> that so i just i
1: you know you just nod your head and smile and yeah yeah pretend like you're inferior <laughs> exactly
2: don't kick me out of the water park <laughs> yeah
1: exactly <laughs> was
0: there a scenario with a water park that happened to you reese
2: no that's that's do you know i think that popped in, just popped in my head because uh i took my kids to florida earlier this year and uh we were you know in those situations of people controlling lines and you know, uh, in, in those situations. And, and I think that was just stuck in my head, I guess. Well, <laughs> nothing traumatic that comes to mind. Um, although... I re- never
1: got berated by a, no, no. <laughs> by a water
2: slide attendant? <laughs> I wish. No, <laughs> it's never <Yeah>.
1: happened. <laughs> so. Guys,
0: that reminds me of a story. So I was in Florida hanging out, having a fun time in the Orlando area. You guys know where Orlando is, right? I'm mm-hmm. assuming both yeah. of you do. So it's kind of kind of up there. I was hanging out in Orlando, having a fun time, uh, and uh, I went to a water park with my uh, brother. And we were hanging out. It was super, 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 super hot. So it was like a perfect day to be at a water park. It was probably like ninety five, sunny. Um, you know, you guys can imagine what that's like, especially you, Zach, where you're living in you know Toronto, where it gets those <laughs> temperatures sometimes. And uh, in
1: Orlando, it gets like, like, like we're super humid, though. And it's kind of gross. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And so um, very hot for sure. And yeah. we were hanging out, having a fun time at this water park. And I ended up bringing my GoPro. Um, I was recording pretty much every slide we were going on because at the time I hadn't traveled a whole lot. And so going to like a water park in Orlando, Florida was the biggest thing for me we went on pretty much every slide and and every ride attendant was pretty cool with me bringing it on. Like they clearly saw I had it and I even asked some of them and they were totally cool with me bringing it on the slide. And then there was one slide. Uh, this was called the drop-off and you guys can imagine what it was like, right? It goes for a little bit and then it drops and then it goes up and then it goes down. Um, I don't know if that was descriptive enough, but I hope you guys can kind of imagine what it looked like. Uh, And so I'm at this line waiting to go on the drop-off. And this guy aggressively comes up to where me and my brother are standing. And he says, sir, you cannot go on this ride with the GoPro. And this is after waiting in line for about 20 minutes. And I said, well, I mean, what do you want me to do? Like, our bag's on the other side of the park. We waited 20 minutes here. And I explained to him, like, man, I don't mean to be that customer. Like, I work with customers all the time, and I know what that's like. I don't mean to be that guy, but I, I I, just, like, I'll go down this one time, I'll leave it in my bag, and, like, hopefully we can be cool. And he's like, no, you cannot have a GoPro. We've lost 13 GoPros on this ride. And I was like, really? Like, how, how, do, you, how do you do that? Like, it doesn't seem that easy to lose a GoPro on this ride. And he's like, well, one kid uh, one kid threw a GoPro off the ride and it hit, uh, hit somebody in the and he just started, it seemed as if he was making up stories by this point. So I said, all right, man, I'll, I'll just, I'll, I'll go and I'll drop it off. And I told my brother to wait there. And so I went down to my bag and I put it in my bag and I came back up to the slide and I said, well, I don't, I don't have my GoPro anymore. You know, are we good? And he said, you guys got to get in the back of the line. And so we went to the back of the line and we waited another 20 minutes and Really, by this point, we didn't have any need to be in that line. We could have just gone to another slide, but we decided to be patient about it. And uh, we get back up, and then this guy has, like, three or four other lifeguards up there by this point. And, like, right when it gets to what would have been our turn, he says, Yeah, we need these guys to escort you down and take a look in your bag. And so, me and my brother are walking down. Um, he's just kind of hanging out for me. I had like three lifeguards around me and sure enough, we go over and we go into my bag and, uh, I show them everything that's in my bag. And it was a cell phone, a bottle of sunscreen, a water bottle and a towel. And they looked at all them and they said, yeah, uh, Jason's kind of a hard ass. Have a nice day.
2: (laughs) I said, thanks guys. See, and that's all the power Jason has in the world. <laughs> and he's exercising it to feel good. So. Can you believe that? <laughs> that's bizarre. Uh, isn't it?
1: So he wanted, he wanted them to go down and look in your bag again, just see, like, like did he not believe that you put the GoPro in your bag?
2: Where did you put the GoPro? I don't know. know. So it wasn't in the bag? <laughs> that's my Right? Question. I don't I know what?
0: why he had them or why he wanted them to check my bag,
2: but that's bizarre. Also, when you said they'd lost thirteen GoPros, I thought you were going to say they'd lost thirteen people because they were using GoPro. <laughs> 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 Just horrible gopro already. accident. Yeah, when they get
1: wet, they explode.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got a good. Go- I got a good GoPro story for you, actually. Um, I was filming with the Royal Air Force which is like the British air force essentially um and we needed to get some shots inside the cockpit while they were flying uh and obviously that we couldn't go up with them uh it was like a uh, it was you know you just had to be personnel to go up in the jet and i wanted our plan was to just put GoPros on there because they're like the suction mounts are tested to like four Gs or something crazy, and a lot of um, fighter jet pilots apparently have GoPros and they attach them in and film themselves flying for their own kind of fun enjoyment. But when you clamp something to the to an aircraft, it technically becomes part of the aircraft and has to be go through all this series of approvals. So they decided it was safer for the pilot to hold a handheld camera and film while he flew. (laughs) Oh, my God. So that's how we got all our footage. This guy was just like, I'm a fighter pilot, but I'm an amateur photographer. So I'll do it. Um, So
1: I'll fly this jet one-handed.
2: That's safer than attaching a GoPro to the side, apparently. Which is one of my favorite examples of when bureaucracy goes wrong. (laughs) Man. But he got some pretty sweet footage anyway.
1: I I just saw a, uh, I think it was probably a GoPro, GoPro, GoPro uh, footage of a pilot. uh, I think he has like a cup of, uh, he just has an empty cup and then he has a bottle of Coke, I think, or some drink. And uh, he goes upside down and like fills up the cup while he's upside down. And then he, or other way around, and then he flips and drinks it upside down it's kind of funny that's pretty cool crazy yeah using yeah super crazy and you can see like water <laughs> dripping down like the 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 glass in the cockpit it's it's kind of funny It's so weird.
2: <laughs> it makes me think about those videos with like the um the astronauts like eating food and stuff in zero gravity mm-hmm. and doing all that kind of stuff and then i saw this video that they have uh, an astronaut and he was stuck in the middle of a space in a space in like the the international space station i think it was and he couldn't reach anything and he couldn't get any momentum to move from that spot oh i've seen
1: i've seen those videos and yeah and they just <laughs>
2: he's just trying to do anything he can just to get a bit of momentum to move from, like mm-hmm. <laughs> that's scary yeah, they're man. just kind of like yeah they're just
1: like floating and kind of like it's like uh like a baby deer is like on the ice and it's just like can't really move anywhere because its feet are just sliding everywhere and it's just kind of scrambling <laughs> Imagine the adult male version of that—a
2: <laughs> highly educated, highly trained adult male just flapping in 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 in, in, the, in space. So. Yeah. Have you have you ever seen the um uh, the recordings? I think this is two Italian brothers, and this was like during the early space race. They would record radio signals, and they recorded the sound of a cosmonaut like a russian astronaut in space uh basically just talking about the fact he was dying in space and it was getting really hot and why was no one responding to him and that you can hear the recordings on youtube and it's really creepy and like sad and and they they were like well the russian you know the ussr the space race it was probably like the first person they put into space or one of the first and it just didn't work out so they kept a secret (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and oh, this man. is what the re- and and they recorded it and you can I listen to it. it. was really kind of like upset and disturbing thing to listen to but um but the, you yeah. know, they used to remove people from pictures and if something went wrong, you just didn't mm-hmm. exist and they were just it gave the idea that maybe there was a, a bunch of people who'd been up before and the first person in space was just the first person to return successfully, and that's why he was you know uh kind of he was just the lucky one, I suppose. Like, it's like a Black Mirror episode, man. That's so crazy. crazy. <laughs> wow.
0: Man, imagine... Guys, imagine if that was you and it's like you just disappeared for one reason or another and then every trace of you is removed somehow, someway.
2: Exactly, you're just eliminated so you're never there in the first place. It's just bizarre. I mean, they did that with the animals but at least the animals were remembered because <laughs> there's <laughs> there no expectation they'd come back at least. So, you know... Um, <laughs> I think the the other thing they did as well, like the the Russian cosmonauts, they were the only ones who had guns in space. But it wasn't what? Yeah, they had guns in space. But it was it was, a, it was specifically designed to be a space gun to be used in uh, space. The idea was that the gun was when they crash landed in Siberia, it was to defend themselves against wildlife.
1: Oh, okay. So I thought you were going to say against Siberians. <laughs> no, no, no. So like
2: bears or wolves or tigers, they needed some kind of weapon because they might have to wait. Uh, days or uh, weeks for to be rescued. Yeah, I guess so. Which is crazy. <laughs> yeah,
1: I I always think about the. I uh, uh, I don't know if it's true or not, but they said Americans for years like tried to invent like a pen that would work in space, and Russians used a pencil because <laughs> the gravity and in the ink doesn't get to the tip of the pen, so they were trying to figure out a way to get pens to work. They
2: finally made it though. <laughs> they did, actually. Yeah.
1: <laughs> took a lot of money, but
2: <laughs> <laughs> I always find that like the um the the weird thing with like NASA and space travel. Like when you compare it to the USSR, they didn't have the luxury of covering up the mistakes. So they did like the track record is it's Pretty good considering that they, yeah. you know, they couldn't like wipe, you know, they didn't have that kind of level of control over the, the press and what was going on, mm-hmm. it was way more public, so the risk was like way higher for them to have. And obviously, there have been really sad disasters, but those early days, like the fact they pulled it all off, um, is just really interesting.
0: I'm, I'm sure that they took a lot more precaution when doing it, though, compared to the Russians who were just like, Yeah, let's go as soon as possible, yeah. we want to be there <laughs> exactly. first
2: yeah if they were just doing it in a more careful way, that's why, that's why it took it a little bit longer, I guess, but um I think like, I always find people who the the people who are doubt, doubtful of the moon landings the <laughs> the like there's people who have built all these like really like structured and detailed arguments about the details, and like the easiest way, apparently, is that you can just see the stuff they left up there with the telescope <laughs> 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 That's been
1: really funny. so So what do you think the u.s space program would look like if they kind of had the same control over society like the ussr did
2: what maybe like i I don't know i guess
1: like i I don't think it's unreasonable to say that they would have done the same thing
2: yeah i I guess like it was means to an end and like governments are more than willing to to lose people when they test new weapons or like they they Mm -hmm. have wars and stuff so I think like there's potential for them to do the same kind of thing. I guess maybe things would have like advanced faster and that uh yeah because because they would have they were much much less concerned about survival. Yeah, and
1: you could be more reckless.
2: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You you, you weren't if you didn't value human life on that level or you, you knew that you had to be perceived at least to be valuing human life, then you you kind of had to be cautious and take your time. But um <laughs> I think I think they did it the right way
1: <laughs> yeah well it's interesting because because the the press is wasn't held back in in america uh, it kind of brings a new appreciation for the press in kind of like a, a quality assurance perspective
2: yeah, and I think that's like the people who go to journalism school and people who would take themselves like see or take their kind of journalism ethics seriously you know that is their role is to report the truth and deliver the facts and that is like their important role in society is to be is to hold power to account you know by challenging them on those things and uh, um it seems like a lost art which is really sad yeah should, especially these days like even people i know who really believe in that stuff it's hard to find a news organization that isn't driven by online metrics and you know, mm-hmm. uh, clickbait and listicles like ten reasons why you should give a shit about something. You know, is is <laughs> sounds like Buzzfeed <laughs> exactly. It's hard. <laughs> so even even if you are like a really serious journalist and you want a whole power to account, you know, if you're, you're bouncing around between like Buzzfeed and those kind of things, because even like Vice and a lot and and having them post, they expect people to write for free, and you know, there's the 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 environment for journalism is like it's not in a great state at the moment it's not like every town has got a bunch of local newspapers where you can go and you can really develop those skills and like a local mm-hmm. level and and investigative journalism as well like it, it, there isn't as much space for people to spend months on like a big story and then expose things in in that way is um uh, like the Panama Papers, like that when they you know revealed all the the dodgy kind of financial transactions between world leaders, that was like right. investigative journalism that was that took like years, if like months or years, I guess, to to kind of crack open. But yeah, there's not as many places doing that anymore, I suppose, and it's uh, it ends up then being more like Russia doing Space race than America. <laughs> <laughs>
0: And I guess what's sad is that people are actually reading this stuff. I don't know who. I, for me personally, I find nothing that BuzzFeed posts interesting, <laughs> at least in terms of stuff on their website. I've, I've seen a couple videos. That's kind of it, you know. But like everything that's on their website, they have some sort of audience, right? And I guess that's the issue: is that there are people promoting it. If people promoted more, um. I guess you could say constructive journalism, then we'd be able to maybe see a resurgence. But until that happens, I think this is this is unfortunately the path that it's going to go.
2: And like, even like major newspapers like The Independent in the UK, you know, they've gone from being print newspapers to being just digital newspapers. So mm-hmm. they need traffic for their advertising. So they they have to give people what they want to read rather than give them what the news is or what is the truth necessarily just, you know, they, they have to be able to, to draw people on that level. And so it just warps their approach to everything. Whereas if people were buying a piece of paper to, to read what the news was, uh, now they have to compete with all those other kind of like nonsense, you know, articles about different things that there are on there. So yeah, it just yeah, their priorities have shifted in that sense, just because they're trying to survive.
0: Mm-hmm. I just learned yesterday that the new york times has a website
2: that's not something that you think about when it
0: comes to the new york times
1: i've i've been on their website I, well I'm, I'm, talking I about, their
0: app. I'm talking about i'm talking about a a website or an app or anything right and me the new york times
2: will always and forever be a newspaper <laughs> yeah and you find that like a lot of newspapers like the the, the newspapers have always been really powerful in the uk and now they're starting to go out of business and, and everything. And it's people are getting the news online and everything. And and it, there is something quite nice about a newspaper that is just, you're also just able to not look at a screen. Like my wife reads a lot of books um and just likes, she likes reading, but she likes not reading screens, just reading something else. There's something like mm-hmm. about that kind of, that is important. Uh, so hopefully they won't all just vanish into just, like, being digital-only digital because there's, like, some value in being able to have a newspaper and, and, you know, use it to just take the news in as well.
0: How do you guys feel about digital minimalism?
2: I'm a fan. <laughs> so, just less apps, less social media? I, I guess, would you agree, Liam,
1: more, like, living in the physical world? <laughs>
0: I mean... Putting the phone away, turning the TV off, turning the computer off, and doing anything that's not a screen.
2: Oh yeah, that's that's why I love podcasts. Is because you can kind of just listen to them in the car or walk in or just like listening. To, like I used to listen to music on my Walkman. You know, there was no screen involved. <laughs> anything, mm-hmm. You know, or just reading a book. You know, I I think I think is important <laughs> and just. Even just like sitting down, just not doing anything, just thinking and staring at a wall, even if it's just for like fifteen seconds, it's just good to just zone out for a while. Just like a
1: moment of being present. Exactly. That never hurts. No, no, exactly. <laughs> um, that that reminds me of um, when uh, like like the whole thing with iPods, um, very music based, Then they came out with the iPod Video. Yeah. And I think that could have gotten out of hand.
2: Real quick, was it the iPod Touch? Is that the one? Just no, they had
1: a, they had an iPod Video, so it was still like the the click wheel thing, but it had a bigger screen, so you could watch music videos on it. Oh, that's cool.
0: I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah,
1: yeah. So, uh, and what I mean by that is just um, just that even that idea of merging the uh, listening experience and a screen. That's that's got to be one of the first devices that accomplished that.
2: Do you remember? Do you remember the Zune? Um, the which the Zune. So, uh, Microsoft brought out their own version of the iPod when um when the iPod was starting to come out, and it failed spectacularly. It was called the, the <laughs> Zune. The Zune, and um, some people still use them, like just to just to be kind of like cool. I've got this like thing that's hard to get a hold of was there
0: a brand name like zune
2: music player or something something like that yeah i think um but me i've got a i've got a stereo upstairs and it's got a 16 year old ipod it was like the second version that came out still full of music and we st- still like docked into the stereo and we still used to listen to music oh yeah It still works awesome man the ipod classic is a great device it still works perfectly as well
1: I have multiple friends who the same thing. Their iPod Classic works like a charm, and it's like how old is it? Like it must be at least like twenty years old by now.
2: I think my my father in law bought it for my bought it for my wife. Uh, she was still living at home, and it was like a gift for her birthday because they were going on holiday to New York, and it was to listen to music on the plane. And, <laughs> and she still got it, and it still works, and it's still full of music that we've been listening to for 16 years yeah i went on
0: a run with my ipod nano just the other weekend and uh it it was both refreshing and scary in a sense because it was on one hand if anything happened to me on that run i was just kind of fucked because it was on you know trails not really by a ton of houses um that being said it was super nice to know that i didn't have any text coming in when i was running i didn't have anything that i had to get back to it was just me my music and oh sweet sweet no advertisements
2: <laughs> well the only thing is i like with those old ipods i'm terrified about plugging her into a computer and like linking it up to apple music or itunes or whatever because I'm just worried it's going to just destroy it like with that built-in obsolescence if it insists on mm-hmm. update. So I'm just, can, we're just going to keep it isolated So, because it still works so well. If it tries to update the software, I just know it's going to ruin everything. Yeah, if it's if it's not broken, definitely. Exactly. Don't. exactly.
0: <laughs> boy, oh boy, guys, that was me with my iPhone 4. That was their test phone. <laughs> that was their phone where they said, hey, maybe we can push this to go a little bit further with these updates, and it didn't work by iOS 8 or something like that.
2: Yeah, I had a 4. I've I've always been Android, so um I've I'm I've never been I've never suffered that pain, but <laughs> I've had some pretty bad devices <laughs> with Android. <laughs> <laughs> um but I kind of uh, I always like shopping around and trying different ones, but I kind of I'm a big fan of the Samsung phones just cuz the cameras are amazing on them, but I used to have this Sony Z10 premium. That sounds like a nice phone. It was about 10, no, 10 years. It was like three years ago, but it would shoot in 4K. And wow, um, it had like slow, this was like three years ago. It did slow-mo, the camera was incredible on it, and I dropped it in a lake. <laughs> so. oh. Was it waterproof, I guess? It was. No? No, it was. Oh, it was. It was, and I could, I could actually, it backed up my pictures I'd just taken through Wi-Fi to the cabin we were in. <laughs> Wow. So I knew where it was, but it was like all this like mulchy dead leaves. And I was just we'd already <laughs> seen a ton of leeches in there. So I was like, I can get my phone, but I'm going to come out covered in leeches or I can just just get over it. And I did try for a while. and I was like, this is just I can't do this. <laughs> How deep was the lake? It was it was only in it wasn't too deep. It was it must have been about three or four meters. So I was like, you couldn't have just tried to get a long net. Well, my wife was ringing it to see if we could. We waited for it to get dark because <laughs> it, it was actually.
1: you in sticking your ear under the water? <laughs> well, I was yeah. trying to see
2: if I could see the light. If I waited right, them, right, yeah. But we just couldn't find it. I don't know. It might still be there in perfect condition.
1: Maybe a fish has started taking pictures on it.
2: Again. <laughs> if you're ever at Fox Point Lake in, uh, in Nova Scotia <laughs> and you find a, a really nice phone from three years ago.
1: Hey, I have a friend who scuba dives. I'll uh, yeah, yeah. give him a call. Hey, uh, any
0: <laughs> listeners out there who happen to scuba dive
2: around Nova Scotia? Yeah, <laughs> the water might have overcome it by now. But yeah, it was pretty. It it, it was. And I think eventually the battery died, and that's why we lost contact with it. So yeah, <laughs> I gotta say,
0: being an iPhone user who used a, I believe, Galaxy S five. Not the nicest phone, by the way. Definitely not the worst phone either. Um, Android has some stuff to offer, man. It's not the normal, and I, I guess that's why people, most people don't use it. Because the iPhone ecosystem is so insanely big right now. Like, it's so hard to escape it. It's it just, it's very convenient to have an iPhone. But mm-hmm. the amount of things that you can do on an Android, like, Android's so loose. There were certain apps that I could get on an Android that would completely change my text interface. On the iPhone, it's just iMessage. That's how it is, and that's how it'll always be. But there were options on the Android to do other things, and I guess that's what I loved best about it. Um, It was super nice to escape the iPhone uh, culture for just a little bit because of the amount of freedom I felt like I had with the Android.
2: I guess the, the freedom I like as well is with the handsets as well. There's so much choice that you can... And they're you, you kind of... Apple try and do a lot with each one and they do a great job putting them together. But you can go, I want to buy one that is just really good at taking photos or I want to buy one that is just ideal for games. And you do get much more choice in that sense of how you like to use your phone. You can do your research and buy a, like, a handset that's tailored... Your preferences in that
1: sense well it's crazy they even have they have gaming phones now and they have uh like red makes a phone now too which is wait insane. red the camera company
0: yeah
1: oh no way yeah How's and i'm camera? pretty sure it's modular their
0: camera better be pretty damn good probably wor- i think
2: it i think it's pretty good probably yeah. works really well with it probably like does wireless connection with the, with the cameras and stuff i guess yeah i think there's a
1: lot of um uh integratedness with the. Uh, with their cameras and red their cool. phone. I don't know how well it's selling, though, to be honest. <laughs>
2: it's pretty, you, you know, there's some really cool dudes on film sets who, like, yeah. they're like,
1: yeah, I've got the new red phone. That's probably most of the market share. <laughs> yeah, it's probably a really specific uh, customer base. Yeah. I
0: heard that the new Samsung phone can shoot in 8K, and that's something that I'm really hesitant about. It seems too early, you
1: know? Well, I heard that like like the human eye can't even really tell the difference after four. Right. I don't know if that's true or not, but yeah, there's got it, there is an upper limit, I guess. But yeah, but you guys are the the film guys, so you should be teaching me right now.
2: <laughs> I'm still adapting to working in 24 frames a second instead of 25. It's, um... Oh, you guys do 25 over there. In the UK, yeah, everything's uh, 25 frames, so it's like... The amount of times I've, I've started working in a sequence and, like, I never had to go back and change the settings because I'm like, this isn't British television, this is Canadian corporate films. <laughs> <laughs> Um,
0: Unpopular opinion, 25, even though it's probably pretty hard to tell, looks
2: so much better than 24. Um, yeah, I also is, one is PAL, is the British version, and then NTSC is the North American version, and I'm sure there's tons of people who argue about this, but I think PAL is slightly better quality, but uh, I don't understand the technology behind what makes that true, that's just what I've been told, but that was, I was being told that by a British person, so I might get told something different by like an American camera person, so. I was told that that's just
0: um like the format um like 24 frames a second 1080 versus 25 frames a second 1080. I heard it doesn't really
2: have any difference. It's just a slightly different frame rate. I think they used to broadcast it differently. That's my understanding. Mm, okay. So um but like the 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 kind of broadcast technology that was obviously changed cuz you used to have to go through this like really elaborate process and now it's kind of just what used to be like a whole department in the BBC building is now just a software package that you run through just to safety check all the footage. So it's like, it just changes wow. so much. See, in my opinion,
0: 30 frames a second is ideal. I don't like the way 24 frames a second looks, especially if it's like in a student film or something like Action movies, uh, twenty four frames a second just doesn't look good to me. Like thirty frames looks pretty good, but I think it'd be really cool if they did even sixty for certain cinematic films.
2: Didn't they do The Hobbit in sixty? Did they? Was that wasn't that like super real, like kind of motion that they went for with that? I think I think they did like a really high frame rate film in The Hobbit, um, but. Like, the lower frame rate just looks more like old film where there's that kind of slight motion blur, I guess. So I don't know whether people like that ultra-real kind of feel or not. I don't know.
0: But I think that can be accomplished with
2: 30 seconds. Or, pff, yeah, 30 frames. I, I, well, the one thing that bugs me, though, is that slow-mo used to just be used for specific moments where slow-mo was needed. And the amount of films that are just all slow-mo... <laughs> like... <I'm laughs> so, I was ed- I was editing a film and it had been shot and they were just filming people sat around a table talking in slow motion, and there was like no motion there apart from people talking really slowly. And I always find it kind of unusual when <laughs> you kind of overuse the slow mo. If you know, if someone's like getting running a marathon and they just go over the finish line, that's a great slow mo shot. But people just walking down a corridor it doesn't really necessarily warrant that kind of slow motion look.
0: think that's pretty much any B roll these days. It's just slow motion. I know.
2: I know, it's it's just I know it's the trend, is the fashion, but it's kind of um, I just find it. Um, I kind of find it. It's been it's kind of getting to the end of that trend <laughs> for me personally. Mm. So,
0: I guess to me, having been someone who is just now able to afford a camera that can shoot slow motion, um, I think it's just more of an availability thing. Slow yeah. motion wasn't available. Or wasn't common you know ten, twenty years ago, but now it is now, like people have it in their smartphones, yeah, that's how common it is, and so I think it's one of those things where it's just coming into its own, and it's just now starting to become a little bit normalized once we get over that hump, I think we'll yeah, start yeah. seeing a decrease in slow motion
2: It'll be something else <laughs> what am i um my business partners. He was really early to the game with, uh, AR like the augmented reality in, but in smartphones, um, and uh, he kind of he did he did a cam- he did a campaign for when Man of Steel came out. He did like an AR experience with Warner Brothers with like in in the phone and everything, and he was, um, it was like the first they were the first kind of people doing it really, and they managed to get these kind of really cool clients because. They, nobody else had kind of worked it out or had kind of like a product they could take to to people to do it. But even then, like, at the time, it was like, this is the future. But then that kind of AR and VR, like, they are very popular with a certain, certain percentage of people, but it's not replaced or taken over in the way that people maybe expected it would when, when they started putting it together, I suppose.
0: You know, speaking of AR, Pokemon Go, okay, Talk about a rise and a fall
1: <laughs> yeah, I never got into it no i think i missed I missed both I think
2: <laughs> yeah, do you know what Pokemon go is? I do know what it is, yeah, but i never I remember seeing it in the news, but I never really... i didn't download the app and have a go
0: yeah i am I was one of those people, I guess, so i I guess I'll just speak on my behalf um <laughs> Pokemon Go is pretty popular back in. I don't remember if it was 2015 or 2016. I think it was 2016. And like summer of 2016-ish. I think I'm right on that.
1: Like two, three, four years ago. Yeah, something like
0: that. And so um, it became this huge thing and everybody was playing it. And let me tell you guys, I saw, I think, more people outside in Minnesota during that time than I've ever seen outside in Minnesota in my life. Like, there were so the most, many people. Especially kids, yeah. Not even just kids. Like, grown-ass adults, too. And...
1: I just mainly saw kids. <laughs> really? Yeah, I yeah. for
0: me, I saw more adults, actually. And it was funny because... Huh. It, it It changed the way that you communicated with strangers. It would often be just not talking to people to... Um, so there were three clans on Pokemon Go. There was Red Clan, Blue Clan, and Yellow Clan. And it would basically be just asking a stranger hey what clan are you in and if they were in the same clan you could like exchange pokemon and uh and and become their friend pretty much and so it was a really cool concept at the time and then um you know over the few months following it just kind of died and then people went back to back to normal but it was It was super weird just seeing how there was that slight change in how people interacted and how there were just more people outside. Um, But uh, the kind of embarrassing thing um, was that my friend kept playing it. One of my best friends kept going. And so he'd be playing Pokemon Go like two years after it completely died. (laughs) And so I'd be like, hey, man, how's it going? And he'd be like, I'm going outside to catch this Pikachu. It's one of the rarest Pokemon in the whole deck. <laughs> I need to catch him today, and I'd be like, "Oh, okay, man." And it, like, but <laughs> I mean, I still love the guy. He's a cool guy. But it was just like,
2: it's like when there was a big, it's like when there was a big music trend in the '80s, and the people dressed in a particular way, <laughs> and then they never stopped dressing like it, and everyone else moved on. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Hair metal. Was oh, it transitioning from kilometers to miles, or staying with kilometers? No, the, uh, Europe is
2: kilometers, but the UK is still miles.
0: Oh, wait, really?
2: Yeah, yeah, they, they still do miles in the UK. They decide they didn't ever go to metric for for that. The um, they did kept that one just
0: to... completely go over my head when I was there? I mean I I just
2: had layovers so I guess I wasn't out and about but but like some things are is kind of like some things are one system and some things are the other system so um they tend to work in both and most most of the time like everyone still measures their height in feet and inches mm. um
1: that's the same here in Canada
2: yeah yeah it's is a re- Canada's the same it's a weird mix of everything so like I think you just find that people uh people just pick what they like to work with as a preference and stick with it but kilometers an hour is is a weird one like that's the only thing i've had to get used to is driving but my car has got a button that you press and it switches between kilometers an hour and miles an hour and it's really pointless so but if i ever if i ever drive across the border i'll i'll be fine i suppose that's
1: kind of funny because my car still has like a, a dial and you just look at the Like both numbers are on the dial. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Press anything.
0: Same here, which is weird because it's a American car, but it still has the kilometers on it.
2: Ah, it was it was my car was built in Ontario though. Ooh. So um, is is from the GM? I don't know why I know this, but it was from the GM.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, I guess that is our time um resta- <laughs> sorry sorry i think it's just it like, is i don't i'm not trying to end the episode no, no, but i'm you know no no that's fair i just found it
0: i found it funny that you like just reset your mic and you're like well i guess that's it <laughs>
1: <laughs> well i was gonna i was gonna add my two cents about the pokemon go thing but i feel like the moment's passed Ah, no, go for it um i just i guess um you seemed pretty st- stoked on the whole social aspect that Pokemon Go came with. And it just sucks that like the social aspect didn't stay and and your friend's case, like it was kind of the game that he held on to.
0: Yeah, totally. Um it's one of those things that I I, I wish that we had more things like that where it's universal. Like mm-hmm. everybody was doing it. Everybody around the world was doing it. That's the craziest thing to me.
2: Everyone around the world's on lockdown, I guess. <laughs>
1: That's true. That's also true.
0: <laughs> but, you know, maybe a more
1: positive thing than that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a good reason. All right. Reese. thank you very much for joining us today.
2: No, thanks. For, thanks for having me on the show and having a chilled, interesting conversation. Yeah.
0: Reese, where can we find your podcast at?
2: Uh, okay, so I have a show called "Canadian Politics is Boring." So if you search that in your uh, podcast app or aggregator of choice, it it will be on there. I also have another show called Pod Starter, which is part of my podcast business. Which is uh it's just like um, a learning resource for podcasters where we interview people uh, about their kind of journey from starting out not knowing anything to how they learned and made mistakes and built a show. Um, uh, and you could just search pod starter again on the app and, and find that too. Awesome.
0: Cool. Hey, thank you for coming on, man. We uh, had a wonderful conversation with you. We really appreciate your time here.
2: Great. Thanks very much. Nice to speak to you.
0: Yeah, you too. All right. Well, everybody, this has been episode four of the social gathering. We hope that you enjoyed your time. Um, you can find us on
1: Spotify, Google Podcasts, a bunch of other random lesser-known podcast platforms, and soon uh, Apple Podcasts.
0: We're going to be streaming Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Central, which is what time, Eastern? 8 p.m. Wonderful. All right. Well, have a good night or good morning or good whenever you're listening to this, everybody, and signing out.